You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. It's the 27th of June, 2023, and I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing DS Smith, Alfred's, British American Tobacco, Wizz Air, Inditex, and our US company of the week is Etsy. John, do you want to start us off with DS Smith? Yes, DS Smith, the Investorway's favourite box maker, had their full year results out last week, with the group reporting full year revenue rising 11% to £8.2 billion and ignoring the effects of exchange rates. Higher prices were the main driver of growth and partially offset by a 5.8% decline in volumes as market demand tempered. Underlying operating profit rose 35% to £861 million, benefiting from higher prices, which was only slightly offset by higher costs and lower volumes. Free cash flow fell 32% to £354 million as capital expenditure increased. Net debt rose from £1.5 billion to £1.6 billion on the higher capital expenditure. The higher cash profits meant the ratio of net debt to EBITDA improved from 1.6 to 1.3 times. Going forward, trading the new year is in line with management's expectations, despite box volumes remaining lower than normal. The board has proposed a final dividend of 12 pence a share, taking the total for the year to 18 pence, and that represents a 20% increase. In terms of valuation, DS Smith has a market cap of just under £4 billion and trades at 7.8 times forward earnings, which is significantly below the 10-year average of 12, and it currently has a prospective yield of 6.3%. I thought these results were very impressive and still find it incredible that DS Smith is being able to pass on so much of its costs. And whilst volumes are falling, that's arguably from the weakening demand rather than the price hikes themselves. And I think when you factor that in, the structural growth of the e-commerce sector and DS Smith being one of the best UK players is actually pretty attractive at the current valuation. Although I think that weakening demand is not something with the current macro situation in the UK that you'd expect to change anytime soon. Definitely, well, I, I would think more than reflected in the price. So actually, I, I, I'm more attracted to DS Smith than I have been over the last couple of years, really with, with that price, I think. Sam, what are your thoughts on these numbers and DS Smith um, at the current price? I think the results are pretty good. Revenue increase is good, especially in the environment we're in. The decline in volumes is a bit disappointing, but in the current environment, you'd probably expect a bit of a pullback of demand anyway. So in that context, it's probably not that bad. The dividend yield's very good at over 6%, and the forward PE is under 8 I appreciate this is a cyclical business, but I think it's a cyclical business that's probably got some good long-term tailwinds as people shift more to like e-commerce and stuff. And there's going to be more and more stuff basically more and more people needed boxes for like 
delivery and stuff like that. So I do like it. I agree that it is the show's favourite box maker, although I would challenge you to name <laughs> the second favourite of the show. Okay. Halfords. Yes. So Halfords, this is a company that is not as well liked by the show as DS Smith was before. Halfords mm. have come out with their full year results and full year light for light revenues grew 2.4% to 1.6 billion with growth in auto centers more than offsetting a decline in retail. Underlying operating profit fell 37.1% to 63.6 million as inflation and acquisitions pushed costs higher. Free cash flow was 3.1 million compared to an outflow of 14.9 million last year. Net debt remained broadly flat year on year at 348.7 million. Halford said that trading in the current year has been good and expects underlying pre-tax profits of around 53.3 million, up from 43.5 million last year. With cash generation weighted towards the second half. A final dividend of 7p per share takes the total up to 10p, which is 11.1% higher than last year. During the year, cycling and consumer tyre volumes declined significantly, and they've highlighted that service-based revenue now make up almost 50% of their sales. And the new Motoring Loyalty Club, which offers discounts on certain services, has mushroomed to 1.7 million members, well ahead of target levels for the first year. They have benefited from a lot of the sites being under lease agreements and recent renegotiations have seen cost savings of 22% and average contract contract lengths in retail are around 3.3 years. In terms of the valuation, the business trades at a forward P of 10 and that compares to a 10-year average of 11.6 and the prospective yield for the next 12 months is 4.6%. Not sure about these results. The results are all right. I don't think they're the worst set of results we've seen from Halfords, but that's not saying a huge amount. I'm not a huge fan of the acquisition strategy. And so far, I think we get to see the benefits of that strategy coming through into the figures. And I think it could be a long time before we do see it. And given how fragmented fragmented the market is, I'm not sure we'll see it at all. Revenue growth of 2.4%. I I think is all right, given that some areas of the business have been up against quite tough comparatives in the last few years. But the underlying operating profit falling is not good. They've not been able to pass on inflation. The acquisition strategy is questionable. And they're going out and using the money to acquire businesses. I don't understand why they're keeping the dividend at 4.6%. If if the strategy is to go out and acquire more auto centers mm. i think they need to just slash the dividend to zero and say this is what we're doing and the shareholders that aren't just there for the income would probably be supportive of that john what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation yeah I'd, I'd agree with you they're not as bad as maybe we were expecting but i just dis oh i really don't like the acquisition strategy particularly in the auto centers i think the sorts of things that the auto centres are doing, it's all orientated towards traditional combustion vehicles. It's an industry that's in structural decline, yet Halfords is going in there, acquiring at quite high prices. And I, yeah, I, I just think it's ultimately a flawed strategy. I, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't go further with Halfords on that basis. 
I don't really have that that much more to add. We've talked about it a lot in the past and been very critical of it, but I, I think just overall a flawed strategy. Right. Well, we won't go over old ground. So shall we uh, cover a business? Well, a business that has historically put up much better results than Halfords. Yeah, I mean, this is a very cheap company, British American Tobacco. It's the UK's largest tobacco company. They've recently had a change at the top and they've got a new CEO, Mr. Morocco, and he's come out with the statements and the numbers. But I will, for context, read the statement because I think it's interesting. We know that under the previous leadership, it was very much, well, it was called a better tomorrow and it was a shift towards the hard, well, I say harm reduction, the non-combustible, so more of your e-cigarettes, essentially. I'm delighted to provide this first trading statement since becoming chief executive. Firstly, let me address a frequently asked question. Will there be any change in our strategy? No, I'm clear that the strategy we created in 2019 is right, and I'm confident that we can execute it successfully. Our commitment to building a better tomorrow by reducing the health impact of our business through multi-category portfolio of reduced risk products remains. Put simply, smokers must have access to better choices. This is already a reality for smokers who have made the switch to our reduced risk products. It also represents a commitment to our customers who continue to smoke and are yet to make that transition. I often hear a better tomorrow being referred to as our strategy, when in fact it's our purpose. They are not one and the same. Our strategic aim is to progressively transform our portfolio by actively encouraging adult smokers to switch to less risky products compared with smoking, a transformation delivering long-term multi-stakeholder value. We have reached a point in our transformation where sharper execution and greater emphasis on fewer, bigger priorities that deliver meaningful returns is required. I'm pleased with our performance in a number of key areas. We've increased the number of consumers in non-combustible products by a further 900,000 in Q1, driving good revenue growth and further reducing losses of new categories, means we're on track to deliver our £5 billion revenue ambition in 2025, with profitability in 2024, irrespective of the timing of the transfer of our Russian and Belarusian businesses. Consistently driving our value from our combustible brands is critical, as they deliver substantial cash returns and generate value to fund the new categories and our transformation. We're also making good progress towards deleveraging our balance sheet, supporting our ambition to sustainably return excess cash to shareholders. That said, there are operational issues that have my focus. Our performance in the US combustibles has been disappointing. Glow has had an underwhelming start to 2023, albeit recent momentum is more that, more encouraging. Glow Hyperair is a step forward in what promises to be an exciting pipeline ahead. And then if we look further down in the trading update in a little bit more detail, they comment on sharpening execution in combustibles in the US and group cigarette volume share up 10 basis points, but value share down 40 basis points, mainly due to the implementation of commercial plans in the US. Outside the US, as um, he alluded to, they've been performing well. In California, the longer term impact of the flavor ban currently remains difficult to assess. Menthol products are reportedly still being sold illicitly, and that's due to a lack of enforcement. 
and the full year uh, revenue performance will be second half weighted in the US. And they also go on to comment on views with the value share up 2.8 percentage points, reaching nearly 40% in key vapor markets, driven by extended volume and value share in the US leadership. They're continuing their approach to the growing modern disposable segment, which they say they're doing in a responsible way with Views Go, which is now available in 40 markets, and establishing Views platforms in the emerging markets, including Colombia and Peru, with encouraging early results. In terms of Glow, which is their heat, not burn, so kind of vaporized uh, tobacco, that's saw their volume shared down at 1.1 percentage points to 18.2% in key markets, which was disappointing for them, and continued category volume share momentum in some of the key European and Japan and Italy helping offset that. And coming to the full year 23 guidance, Global tobacco industry volume is expected to be down around 3%. Despite that, they expect 3 to 5% of organic constant currency revenue growth, with performance expected to be weighted towards the second half. Reported growth impacted by the timing of the transfer of the Russian and Belarusian businesses expected to close in 2023 or by the end of 2023. And mid-single-figure constant currency adjust diluted earnings per share growth with around 2% transactional foreign exchange headwinds and operation cash, operating cash flow conversion in excess of 90%. So I think overall, I would say they'd be disappointed with these figures. If we look at the valuation, as we always do with it, it's really, really very cheap and with this, um, and I think probably with the return of some of the more growthy stocks that we've seen over the course of the last year, the valuation of British American tobacco and the tobaccos as a whole has come back quite a lot. It currently has a market cap of £58 billion and trades at six and a half times forward earnings with a prospective dividend yield of 10%. I can't see that that the valuation, we're going to see that uplifted much going forward on the basis of ESG uh, investing, avoiding it and institutional investors pulling out. It is still still generating a huge amount of cash and it's got a, a dividend yield of 10%, which looks well covered as well. It doesn't look like it's a company that's in distress and the market thinks it can't pay the dividend. I I think it is just everything that sort of surrounds the industry, really. It also depends on what you're buying it for. I think even without that future in the business, you might expect a valuation like that. If you looked at it and you said that you thought that it had a valuation in terms of a future beyond combustibles, then it does does objectively look very cheap. But of course, one of the reasons, as I said before, is all of the ethical concerns. So a lot of investors will not wish to look at this stock regardless of its valuation and its 
its dividend yield. There are two big uh, companies that we have we do cover on the show. The other one is Imperial Brands when it reports, and certainly British American does have a more diverse geographical spread compared with Imperial Brands, and in terms of the valuation, there's not a lot between them. So I know from 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 that perspective, this is more of the international and probably higher quality company of the two. Sam, what are your thoughts on the statement from the new chief executive and some of that uh, trading update in detail? I know he's introducing himself, but I thought he waffled a bit in parts. I don't know if all of it was really yeah. needed to be in there. Well, he's almost, he almost went on as much as... Uh, who's the Weatherspoons guy? Oh, Tim Martin. Yeah, he has quite long statements as well. He does like to get his opinions in there. Although this was nowhere near as controversial, I should say. <laughs> but... Yeah, I just I thought it was interesting in terms of just how high the non-combustibles market shares are. We already knew they were very good. We could tell by the growth figures. I think it's quite interesting with the views go ones because I've started seeing them pop up. Like they've got their supply in Tesco's now, so you are seeing views mm. go in Tesco. I've no idea how well they're doing, but you are starting to see they are getting shelf space. Very very cheap. Very good dividend yield at 9.8%. Forward PE of 6.5. As well as that 9.8% dividend yield, they do buybacks as well, don't they? So you're actually getting a higher yield. I'm not sure. I, I appreciate you've got the ESG and stuff, but I'm not sure we won't see it back at like 10 times earnings again at some point. Because I just think what seems to happen is whenever we have anything going on politically where people want to flock to something defensive, they do... Tobacco companies do get a bit of a boost then. It's not going to be expensive, and it might be going from like six to ten times mm. earnings. But I, I do think if you buy it at six times earnings, you do have it's so cheap that as soon as like the political climate worsens or something, you do have some chance of some kind of like multiple increase. But even if not, if you're getting a ten percent dividend yield plus mm. buybacks, what do you actually care anyway? And then on top of that, this is a business that's just got like a cracking share of the the non combustibles. And hopefully they've got mm. a decent future in that. But this, I don't think these are going to zero. There's going to be some kind of business left. So no, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Not really yeah. much of a surprise in there, in that you know volumes down three percent for the year, and they're expecting five percent revenue increase or whatever it is. That's not nothing unusual there. But no, I thought it was interesting because I yeah. really feel like that statement gave us a little bit more of an insight into how the actual like non-combustibles are doing. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, if we do go back a few years, if you go back to, say, 2016, 2017, I think they may have peaked uh, the, the shares of British America in 2017. And that was sort of, I suppose, political instability in the UK and the sort of, well, you know, devaluation of the pound after Brexit. They peaked at about £50 a share. The figures that they were putting up weren't that different to where they are now. And it was trading at, say, 17 times earnings, 17, 18 times earnings back then. I don't think fundamentally it's a different company. I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting that they would, that the shares would ever go back, you know, to those sorts of multiples. But what you're getting for the price is, you know, considerably more than you were getting back then. I think you could see it back at 35 or something now. Yeah, and I think you, you did see the rally after, well, with the energy prices and Ukraine 
And when the tech stocks, there's a, there's a big pullback, it did really boost the shares of British American and Imperial brands. So like you say, if you have any more sort of instability globally, people do or investors do seem to sort of flock back to some degree. I appreciate it may not be to the degree at what would be 20, 20 years ago, but there's a lot of, well, a large margin of safety if you're, if you're just paying six and a half times earnings. But again, it, 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 I think it ultimately it does boil down to the ethical side for most people with it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's not, but it's, you know, it's becoming more ethical, especially with that well, new purpose. So it's very interesting. So there's a Spectator podcast and they have, I think it was just released today. I haven't listened to it, but they have an interview with the editor of the Spectator and the boss of Philip Morris. And essentially he, I think he came out was a year ago and said that the, the he wants Philip Morris to trans, you know, transform completely to smokeless. And essentially, I think this interview is focusing on that and that he sees his role at the company as some sort of moral purpose to, you know, make that transition happen. So I think that'll be interesting to listen to because he's almost trying to turn the ESG argument on its head and make the argument that these companies are the solution rather than the problem, which appreciate is very controversial, but I think it will be an interesting academic argument that they will have. So I will be listening to that. Well, I've got, I was listening to the, um, the Supreme investor presentation from back in November 22. And they, they said it before in other presentations. I think we've probably quoted it on the podcast, but the department of health say that vaping is over 95% safer than smoking there is still some negative mm. effects and they're not entirely sure what it is, but the current data indicates over 95% safer. And that's backed by cancer research. And when, when you read about like vapes and stuff in the media, mm. you don't actually, you don't get that impression from it because it's not really what the media focus on, but it is by far the yeah. most efficient way an effective way to stop someone smoking. And I think they said in a one, I'm, I might be misremembering this, but I think they said as well on there that something like only 7%. And I, I actually think this, this statistic will get worse as time goes on in fairness. Cause I think you've got those new 17 and 18 year olds coming through that will start vaping and they won't actually smoke. But in November 22, they were saying something like, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was something like between seven and 11% or something. That's the, it's only between seven and 11% of vapors that have never previously tried cigarettes. Like over, like about ninety mm. percent plus of the vapors have previously smoked. So this, yeah. it's not bringing that many new people into it that haven't previously smoked. Like I say, I think that will actually get worse as time goes on because you've got the eighteen-year-olds coming through every year. But at the minute, it is, it is, I think, a very good way to stop smoking. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it's a very interesting debate, and diff, you know, different countries obviously take different views on it because you've got. California, which you think of as, I suppose, very liberal in some senses, which has, you know, a ban on flavours. And then you've, you know, got the UK, which you sort of imagine, you know, with the plain packaging and different sort of public health interventions that we've had in the past being quite a lot stricter. But they actually seem to be, uh, or many figures seem to be more in favour of vaping as a form of harm reduction than you know some of the counterparts in other parts of the world like 
California, for example. So it's strange because they've got needles all over their streets. But well, yeah, a bit of flavour yeah, there. Yeah, and they get upset. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I'm sure people involved in public health will debate it both ways, but interesting. And yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, uh, watch this space um, and watch that valuation too. Okay, I think enough said on that. On to Wizz Air. Yes, a debut on the show. For anyone who haven't heard of them before... They are a budget airline, and they are probably the budget airline. I, I travelled with them back in March when I went to Romania, and they they were the worst airline I've ever used. Actually, um, <laughs> like it, Ryanair was luxurious because I know Ryanair are quite tight with the bags and stuff, but they don't. So a lot of the times, I'll give you these measurements for the tiny bags, and they're they're pretty reasonable. Like if you turn up with a backpack that's slightly over the dimensions. They're pretty all right usually. Whereas Wizz Air, they were like measuring every single bag to make sure it was within the like tiny dimensions. And then what they were doing was like, as soon as you you couldn't fit in the thing, like they were just hitting you. And it was just all these poor Romanian people who probably like, like oh. just absolutely, you could just see the line of them just getting like shafted, just like each of them getting a charge. I was actually worried, actually, because I think my bag was over the dimension. So I started moving stuff into my girlfriend's bag. And then what happened was they spent so long doing this with the bags. They were actually in danger of, like, missing the takeoff time. So they just let everyone else through. So I just walked through until <laughs> I was at the back. But, yeah, it was like, it, it was like you were treated literally like cattle. Whereas even with Ryanair, I've, I've never quite oh. felt like Wizz Air made, managed to make me feel. But anyway, a bit of information about them. The budget airline, 179 aircraft. With an average age of 4.6 years, 51 million passengers in 2023, or the financial year 2023, over 1,050 routes, 194 airports in 54 countries, and over 7,300 aviation professionals. They have come out with their full year results, and they are FTSE 250 listed, by the way. And number of passengers was up 88.3%. Revenue, and this is in euros and all the Subsequent figures will be in euros. Revenue was up 134% to 3.8 billion. EBITDA margin improved from 1.4% loss to 3.4%. However, if you include the interest tax, depreciation and amortization, it wasn't anywhere near as good. So the operating loss for the period worsened by 0.3% to 466.8 million. And that's... Presumably based on their, oh no, sorry, and the reported loss for the period worsened even further by 16.7% to 535.1 million. They had total cash at the year end of 1.5 billion and that was up 10.9%. Their fleet size was up 17% and the seat count was up 67.8%. So it's pretty high growth. In terms of the debt, however, they increased their borrowings by 1.3 billion and they said, that the increase was primarily driven by lease liabilities recognised during the fiscal year and financing against aircraft pre-delivery payments. In the slides, there wasn't loads, but they highlighted that ticket revenue was only 52% of total revenue. I reckon the other 48% is the poor Romanians that they're charging for having bags that are too Mm. small. Because I don't see Mm. what else they can really. They don't really Mm. offer any other services. But that seems to be how they make their money on the bags. I, I thought these were decent results. They've grown pretty quick, but if I borrowed an extra whatever it was, one point three billion in a year, I reckon I'd be able to grow pretty quick as well. The results weren't terrible. They're they're 
pretty efficient. So in May 23, the load factor was 90.2%. I appreciate that is basically now in peak time, peak season. So it probably will get worse later on in the year. But all the figures did look to be very good. However, the amount of debt is concerning, as you would expect. The fact that it's an airline just puts me off anyway. The only real reason I covered it is because it's a debut and because I used the service a few months ago. But the amount of debt makes me uncomfortable. You've got Warren Buffett, who spent 50, 60 years telling everyone not to invest in airlines. He finally decided to invest in airlines and then lost money. I'm not going to have a go with Wizz Air. Maybe what they're doing is fantastic and they're going to be a long-term profitable airline, but they are at the cheapest end of the market and they are, in my opinion, probably making their money by uh, charging poor Romanian people for taking their bags on the plane. So for me, I wouldn't invest anyway because it's an airline, but I would take these numbers with a pinch of salt because the amount of money they've had. This isn't really organic revenue. They've just It's basically funded by debt. They don't make any money, so there's no PE ratio. Market cap's $2.89 billion, and it's it's quite hard to actually value that because, like I say, they don't make any money. So, yeah. Um, actually, I don't really have much to say on the valuation because I, I wouldn't do an airline on price to sales. I, I wouldn't really want to do it on price to book either. I do think there needs to be some level of profits for me to consider investing in a company like this. Not that I consider an airline anyway, but with no profits, I, I can't value it anyway. So, John, thoughts on the results and the lack thereof of evaluation? Uh, I mean, like you, I think one of the first, or one of the early investment or investors that followed and sort of read the works of were, um, were Warren Buffett and, you know, his experiences with the airlines. So that in itself was sort of, red flags and put, would put me off but yeah they're, they're so cyclical as well capital intensive oil prices to consider it's funding it with debt and there are no earnings I, it, I just wouldn't go much further than that really so many businesses that i choose before going near yeah going near any airline and this is not an airline that i'd be really looking at if i were so i'd, I'd leave it there Okay, well, moving swiftly on, shall we go to Inditex? A yes. company that we do like. So we've covered it quite a few times. We have. Oh, it is a company that we do like. I mean, I think it's a very high quality company. It's Zara's parent company. They had their Q1 results out earlier this month with first quarter sales up 15% to 7.6 billion euros, ignoring the impact of exchange rates with growth across all geographies and brands. Operating profit rose by 43% to 1.5 billion euros, a sales growth outpaced rising operating costs. The net cash position, including lease liabilities, grew from 3.4 billion euros to 5 billion euros due to better operating performance. And in the first month of Q2, sales were up 16% on the same period last year. Full year gross margin is expected to remain stable at around 60%. The optimization of stores is ongoing with gross space expected to grow by 3% during the year, despite fewer open stores. And the group plans to pay a remaining 60 cents of the full year dividend on 2nd of November, bringing the total to €1.20. The group is also installing self-checkout areas to ease pressures with the queuing and staffing costs. And that was on the back of a dispute over pay in the Spanish stores 
which resulted in a 20% pay rise for its Spanish store workers. So I suppose they've, they've got, you know, temporary increase in their pay, but it looks like Zara is going to be dealing with that by having fewer staff and moving towards automation. Shares were up nearly 4% on the announcement. So in terms of valuation, it has a market cap of 105 billion euros and trades at nearly 21 times forward earnings compared with a 10-year average of about 25. And it has a prospective dividend yield of 4.2%. So it's certainly not cheap, but its numbers, it keeps, it, it does keep delivering. And I think it's, in terms of high street fashion, it's probably right up there, I would say, at the top. And it's able to take the latest things from the catwalk and get it onto the high street as quickly as possible. And that seems to be its USP and it's doing it. It has great margins and it's delivering, you know, pretty decent growth. So I don't know whether I'd pay nearly 21 times forward earnings for it, but I certainly wouldn't bet against it. It's extremely high quality. And I guess that valuation is just a reflection of that um, and probably being right up there at the top. I think the closest that we would have, and I don't think it's quite as good, although it is considerably cheaper, is next. So yeah, I probably I probably would would leave it there. It seems to be holding up well despite inflation, but we'll we'll see how that goes and over the next year or so. Probably one for my watch list. And if it were to get significantly cheaper, I, I'd take it, uh, you know a, a more serious look at it. But it's just that little bit too much, I think, right now. Sam, your thoughts? Oh, I think these are just fantastic results. There's not really anything in there you can criticise. It, it's just, it's just put up the numbers. It doesn't have any control over its valuation, but I agree, it's it's too expensive, which would is a you, shame. No, would I you wouldn't. like? Okay, I, would, I would definitely you... wouldn't. But at, you know, it, were it to come down a little bit, would you be, you know, seriously interested in this as a company? I would not be comfortable increasing my retail exposure any further. Okay. I, okay. I've got enough in there. I've got okay. more than I'm already happy with. And to be honest, even if I did want to add, I would rather own Next than okay. Inditex. I think Next has more strings to it, but it's bow and it's a little bit better diversified. Whereas Inditex, I don't know, it just feels... I don't know much about the business. I don't shop in Zara, but it just feels like it's pure clothing, which does make me a bit uncomfortable. Whereas at least from Next, they have like the home stuff and they've got the... I can't remember what it's called, but where they're, they're like using... You know, where they're selling their distribution software and stuff and their network for two other companies. Whereas Inditex is just clothes, but good dividend yield, quite expensive but with these kind of numbers you you can see why people are paying up for it i just wouldn't ever be one i don't think okay fine i think it's you know just to come back on it does have zara home and it does obviously have a few other brands but zara being the biggest by far although it's not the size the home is not the size of uh, as a proportion uh, as next is anyway let's move on to our final company yes so Etsy, so these results are a couple of months old, so the latest set of results, but I've not looked at it for a while. And as a shareholder, I should look at it every now and again. 
So I've decided that I'm going to look at these results from, uh, I can't remember when they came out. I think it was the start of May. <laughs> yeah, I've been a little bit behind, but I'm getting there now. So Etsy, the online marketplace for basically unique items and gifts, they have come out with, well, they came out at the start of May with their first quarter results for 2023 and consolidated gross merchandise sales was so this is the total value of everything they sold on the platform was 3.1 billion dollars and all these figures will be in dollars that's down 4.6 percent year over year and 2.6 percent on a currency neutral basis etsy marketplace gross merchandise sales was 2.7 billion and that was down by the same amount the etsy marketplace grew active buyers by one percent year over year to 89.9 million the first time this metric has grown on a year-over-year basis since the fourth quarter of 2021. We acquired 7 million new buyers, reactivated 21% more buyers than the prior year period, and retained active buyers at levels above pre-pandemic rates on a trailing 12-month basis. On a quarterly basis, retention trends improved both from the prior year and the prior quarter. Consolidated revenue was $640.9 million, up 10.6% versus the first quarter of 2022 with a take rate of 20.7%. The revenue performance reflects the Etsy Marketplace transaction fee increase, which went into effect on April 2022. Consolidated net income was 74.5 million, down 11.6 million year over year. Consolidated net income of approximately 12% and diluted net income per share of 53 cents. Etsy ended the first quarter with $1.1 billion in cash and cash equivalents and short-term and long-term investments. Under Etsy's stock repurchase program, during the first quarter, approximately $148 million of stock was repurchased. And that's on a market cap of $10.8 billion now, so that is, that is a fairly decent amount, actually, per quarter. On March 1st, the cap call instruments relating to the 2018 convertible notes were settled for $1.194 million and six shares of Etsy Common stock that were retired upon receipt. So active sellers was up 3.8% in the period, 7,942,000. And active buyers was up 0.4% to 95,526,000. The percentage of sales from mobile was up 1% from 66 to 67%. And the percentage of sales coming from outside of the US increased by 1% to 45%. They said that they converted nearly 90% of their adjusted EBITDA to free cash flow. And this is one of the reasons I do like Etsy amongst many. It's one of my largest shareholdings. It's not as big as it was because the share price has done very poorly in the last couple of years. So it's fallen from a high of 307 to it's currently at $87 a share. Although that 307 was at the peak of the the COVID bubble. So they trade at four P of 28 and a market cap of 10.8 billion. Revenue per share, that's now over $20 a share. And the earnings per share, actually in fact the earnings aren't that useful, but the, it is a free cash flow machine. Since 2020, it's put the free cash flow per share has been $5.53, $4.90, and in 2022 it's $5.31. And that compares to a share price of just $87. So it's trading about 14 times free cash flow. The op- And as well, I know the sale, the volumes have decreased very, very slightly. But because of the nature of what they're selling, this isn't an Amazon where you go in and basically using it for everything. Because it's unique and it's more gifts and stuff like that, 
in the current environment, it's one of the first things people probably will pull back on. So there is going to be somewhat of a cyclical nature. But I do think in the long term, it's going to carry on growing. And I think although the the revenues are down very, very slightly, the fact that the number of buyers has actually gone back to increasing again for the first time since Q4 2021, I think is a very positive sign. I think once the economy is a little bit better and things are a little bit better and people are spending a bit more, those new buyers are going to start spending. I think in the long term, I I do still think Etsy has a long way to go. And in the meantime, it is just churning out free cash flow. So yeah, these are slightly disappointing results, but I'm very happy with it. Very happy with how the business is performing. Uh, well, not very happy, but happy with the, how the business is performing, but very happy with the valuation. And it's not a business I would be against adding to in the near future. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation? Yeah, similar. I used to like the business and I still do. The issue that I always had with it, and this was, I suppose, when it was peaking in popularity and it had the massive share price growth in 2020 and 2021, was purely the valuation. I think now that it's come way back down and I guess some of that is based on the fundamentals that are not quite as good and that perhaps as the macroeconomic environment changes and it being I suppose not you know definitely not a necessity to use Etsy there with you know a Tesco's or something it's you know it, it it has weighed on on the price but i think like you it's a really high quality company it's got lots of growth ahead of it the market cap is you know pretty small on the scale of things and i think what it can deliver at that price you know there's a huge amount to be optimistic about and it's a company that i'm probably quite close to buying shares in Ooh. what yeah. would it take for you to actually pull the trigger what would you need to see? I think it would be more my confidence rather than because <laughs> uh, I appreciate when you know when the numbers really start to improve again and there's more you know uh, there's it's a more bullish market. It, it, you're going you're going you are going to see the share price um, improve, but I, I I'm I am pretty close actually. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see if there's been any changes then next time we cover it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll see, but there's confidence everywhere is a bit lower at the moment. So, and if you if you've got your money in a deposit account, certainly in the UK, it's about it's close to six percent now. So that that does uh, affect things a little bit, I think, in the psychology. So, of the six businesses we covered this week, DS Smith, Halfords, British American Tobacco, Wizzair. Inditex and Etsy, which one do you like the most and which one do you like the least? I think seriously, it would be Etsy and DS Smith in terms of the ones I like the most. DS Smith, certainly the valuation and probably don't have to have, you know, as much appetite for risk as you would be with Etsy. So I, I do like that a lot. Um, I think it's it, there's structural growth in the market there and it's so cheap. Etsy I also really like, I think that's probably the higher quality company and is going to deliver the growth in the future. And it's an awful lot cheaper than it's been for, well, quite literally years. So that would probably be the one that I would most likely go for. And the one that I like the least, hmm, that's difficult. I'd still go with Halfords, I think. I hate the strategy that they're pursuing at the moment. And I think they're going into an industry that's, 
is what I would argue is in structural decline. I can't understand it. So that, yeah, that would be Halfords. I think my favourite would be Etsy. If I exclude that because I own it, it would be British American Tobacco. Probably by some margin. I do like it a lot. I do like the way the industry is moving. And I really like the valuation and the dividend. Least favourite would probably be Wizz Air, actually, because as bad as I think Halfords is, at least it's not an airline. <laughs> Fair but enough. I, that's, that's hardly a ringing endorsement of Halfords. I still don't like it. It's just <laughs> I'd probably rather own it than an airline. Okay, okay. Um, well, on that note, I think we'll leave it there and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.